wine went from being uh, wine in a bottle to an industry that has been pinkified, that has been marketed to us as our me time. And because it's been marketed to us, and that's the story we've bought into as a body of women, we don't question our drinking. We do not ask the relevant question. And the relevant question is, is not, you know, am I an alcoholic? Dear Professor Google, what are the statutory units I should be drinking in a week to stay from compass mentis? The question is really, can I sustain my life healthily and happily while drinking this amount? Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast. My name is Janet Goron. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last five years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. We created a tribe because we believe it's really, really hard to change your drinking habits alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. Each week, we feature a community voice just to give you a flavor of the awesomeness of our tribe. Here's a lady from one of our WhatsApp groups. Having a sober tribe has helped me understand that, you know, there are so many people who have kicked the drinking habit out there who are part of the tribe and they share their stories. And every now and again, they remind us where they came from. And when you join the tribe, you realize that they came, they started right where you are, where you couldn't put the bottle down. And one day they did. And when they're sitting there telling you they've got 200 days, 400 days, however many days, even 40 days is quite a feat. It is so encouraging. And that's what has kept me going. So thank you to the tribe. I am so grateful to have let the drink go. The joy of Tribe Sober is that we all understand each other. We've all been through the same struggle. And whether we've come out of the other side or we're still doing the work, we always support and encourage each other. So just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe to join a safe and supportive space where you'll be able to change your thinking about drinking When I finally decided to ditch the drink, I was going downhill fast. I knew I was destroying myself and that I would have to make a drastic change if I was to survive. Although I was determined to make the change, I was expecting sobriety to be a grey and rather miserable place. So I was delighted to discover over the years the surprising joy of being sober. To quote the title of one of my favourite quitlit books, The fear of losing out on fun and friendship also keeps many of us trapped in our drinking for years. Huge amounts of money are poured into marketing every single day to convince us that alcohol is essential to a happy and glamorous life, whereas poor old sobriety has zero budget. What sobriety actually needs is a rebrand. If more people realise that Soberland is actually a place of peace, health and joy, they would be keen to get there. Just imagine if you could buy a pill to make you look younger, feel happier and give you more energy. Well, I think we'd all be queuing up for it. And you can get all of that for nothing by going alcohol-free. Rebranding sobriety is a massive task, but if anyone can do it, then it's my guest. Susan Christina is an Irish lady living in Spain. She's on a mission to make alcohol-free living as attractive and glamorous as we thought drinking was. She's an advocate for the modern recovery movement and she wants us women to take back our power. I began asking Susan to introduce herself. Um, My name is Susan. 
um, and I'm Irish. Um, I live in Madrid for the last seven and a half years. Before that, we were a decade in France. And when I went on my sober journey, I was the CEO of a tech company in, in Spain and in Madrid. I have formerly worked in the drinks industry um, at a global level, managing uh, marketing communication for Spirits Portfolio. I've always worked in marketing and communication. I'm a firm believer in storytelling and I'm a firm believer in using those skills and rebranding sobriety. I have three fabulous sons, one of whom lives in Paris, one who's in San Sebastian, the north of Spain, and my youngest, my baby. He will hate me calling him that because he's in first year at uni in Madrid. And I am privileged and lucky to be married to a man from Barcelona. So our dinner table is both international, multilingual, um, and I can tell them all shut up in many languages. Good. Okay. Well, welcome. It's lovely to talk to you. So let's delve into your drinking story a little bit, shall we? Uh, just talk to me about what kind of age you discovered alcohol and uh, and how it developed from there. I was really late actually drinking. I am. Uh, I believe I was about 19 the first time I actually picked up a drink, which is really, really late. And I believe the earlier part of my drinking career is irrelevant because it was purely very social. Um, there was no need within me at that time to numb out, zone out or self-medicate. I believe I fall into that classic category of the wine o'clock, which in truth is addiction o'clock, woman who bought into the entire scenario that wine was a reward, that I needed wine to parent, that I needed wine to cope with life and stress and decision-making jobs and traveling. And I naively, you know, came in from work if I was in Madrid or indeed France when we were living there, you know, put down the briefcase, um, shouted, honey, I'm home and how are you doing? And then immediately went for a bottle of wine. And I very easily went from one glass while taking off my coat, getting into a pair of leggings, second glass chopping vegetables, third glass while the vegetables are in a pan, fourth glass having dinner, still believing I'm lucid, compass mentis, still believing that I'm completely on my game. Glass five watching Netflix or a TV soap opera. And sure, the bottle is there. I might as well finish it and I'll take the last glass up to bed. Yeah. And I think that that type of journey is so very common, but it is also so very hidden. So my drinking career, per se, was actually in a kitchen. And even though I was in the drinks industry and also in the food and drinks industry as well before that with another business, I actually didn't drink on the job. And I was one of those women who professionally and actually in front of 95% of the population was on my best behavior. And I would actually go through events and I would not drink spirits because I didn't like spirits. I preferred champagne, cava or red wine. Mm -hmm. And I would not drink at the reception or the drinks dinner or whatever. But by God, when I got back to the hotel or when I got home to my kitchen, you know, I was the one going home early because I had an early start the next day, which was code for I actually need to get home and have a glass of wine without an audience. Um, I would go back to hotel rooms and it might be 10 or 1030 at night while I was traveling for work. And I would have been on my best behavior all evening. And at 1030, I wouldn't order food to the room, I would order a bottle of wine and I would go through different scenarios in my head saying an internal dialogue saying, well, I'll only have two glasses because I do have to be up at six o'clock for a flight. But somehow or other, I was able to hoover up that bottle. And I think for many women, we inadvertently fall into this trap and I, too, believed everybody else in the hotel corridor was doing what I was doing. And I, too, believed every mom at the school gate was doing what I was doing. We just weren't saying it. It was like having a baby. Sometimes yeah. it can be difficult, but you don't come and say, oh, my God. You just say he's beautiful. I love him dearly. Yeah, there's almost a conspiracy of silence, isn't there, where we all convince ourselves and everybody else that it's fine and we just carry on drinking. I used to say to my girlfriends sometimes, oh, I'm a bit worried about my drinking. And they'd all say, oh, don't be silly, Janet. Everybody drinks a bottle of wine every night. You know, how else are we going to cope with the kids and our jobs, etc.? And we all try and convince each other that it's fine, don't we? My wine drinking didn't flag up as dangerous, didn't flag up to family, didn't flag up to friends. My husband, my sons, nobody did an intervention. 
Nobody sat me down and said, you need to change your life. And I now believe that I was one of the very privileged women to be able to get off the drunk train and get on the sober train. Stop five or six on a six on a scale of one to ten. If eight is rehab, nine is organ failure, ten is death. I could go between four, six and six point five, depending on what life was throwing at me, because it was my coping mechanism. That's all I knew. Honestly, you know, good, bad or indifferent. Great day at the office, glass of wine. Shite day at the office, glass of wine. Child behaving, child misbehaving, husband behaving, husband misbehaving. Have a glass of wine. My story is. is the same as every other woman. But but here's what I also believe. Because we don't have road crashes and because we aren't destitute and because we haven't lost our husband, homes, jobs and all things that allegedly matter to us, we can lull ourselves into some false sense of security that we don't have a problem because we're not like the guy on the street drinking sherry out of a brown paper bag. Or indeed, we're not like poor Mary in number 27 who's just been carted off to rehab. Exactly. And that's dangerous. Yeah, yeah, because we think we're not, we can't possibly be an alcoholic <laughs> because we don't look like that person. No, I mean, honestly, and I think that is one of the issues I have with, if you like, the modern world and messaging is, is and certainly having been part of, uh, of a body of people who messaged. Part of the problem is in the drinks industry, we sold you, you know, chic sophistication. We show, sold you botanicals in a glass. We, we sold you aspiration. We told you if you drank this gin or had this vodka that suddenly your life would become shiny and you would look like Meryl Street. Women particularly buy into that aspirational type of drinking. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. Susan, talk to me about when you started to worry about your drinking and think, I've got to make a change. I, I can't go on like this. I can't sustain a bottle a night or whatever it was. It was a bottle a night and it was oh. a bottle and a half on a Saturday and Sunday. I was at least regimented in that. It was nine bottles a week, that I can tell you. When I started to worry, I think that's really hard for me to pinpoint because I think the truth of the matter is, as I was living this life, I was concerned, but I wasn't articulating them out loud to myself. I wasn't telling myself the truth. I was actually lying to myself first, let alone having a curated story for everybody in the office and the world around me. How was your weekend? Wonderful. Jam-packed from nine o'clock until two o'clock on a Saturday. Then I chilled. That is code for I needed to get everything done by two o'clock because I wanted to sit down and have a glass of wine and I can't drive after that. I don't think I can tell you when I stuck a flag into the sand and said, I need to deal with this. What I can tell you is towards the end, and I believe I drank like that for a decade, and I believe that in October 2018, I had reached a point whereby I was tired of feeling sick and tired and tired of the guilt and tired of waking up going, oh gosh, Yes, I certainly got to that stage, the sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. And I meet so many women these days that are really desperate. They say things like, I can't do this anymore. I just can't do this anymore. But the problem is they don't know how to make a change. And that's why they're so desperate. They feel trapped. They feel stuck. And that's why we love doing what we do, because we can show them the way out of the booze trap. How did you escape the booze trap, as I like to call it? I found online, I Googled like everybody else does, you know, am I an alcoholic? And I zoned in on the answers that told me I lived in the Mediterranean, therefore I was living a Mediterranean diet, which was good for my heart, allegedly. And I found uh, the sober school online and I applied to go to Cape B for a place on the sober school. And I joined her um, on January 6th. And I never looked back. I'm a thousand days this uh, Saturday, of which Congratulations. I'm hugely proud of. And I believe where it was critical for me is, is that she didn't use the word alcoholic because that would have sent me running for the hills. She didn't use the word forever. 
because I, like every other woman on this journey asking this question, wonders, how will my life be? Will I lose my friends? What will I do at my son's graduation? How will I cope with a family wedding? Will I be ostracized? Will they judge me? Will they put a label on me I do not believe is mine and I do not want to wear? When she didn't say alcoholic in forever, and her course at the time was called Unstuck, Unstock. In fact, you will now see and listeners won't, but I wear a necklace every day that says unstuck because I am royally unstuck because I believe any woman who takes that decision is brave and courageous. And I believe that once you know the knowing, you can't unknow the knowing. And that's how I feel about me. Once I understood the complexities and the toxicities and the running away from pain or the running away from life or reality was being done down the neck of a wine glass. Once I understood that piece, that's when I realized not only was I drinking too much, but I actually had a problem. Yeah, I love what you say about the knowing and that it can't be undone. We get people coming to the workshops where they learn about alcohol and what it's doing to their minds, to their bodies. And we tell them it's pretty impossible to moderate once you've crossed a line with your drinking. But they're determined to try. So they say, okay, you've given me the tools. I'm going to go away and try to moderate now. And almost always they come back. They say, well, I tried the moderation thing. Didn't work. You were right. Now I'm going to stop. I'm going to do it properly this time. But in a way, it's it's like a contemplation period. You know, some people have to go through that moderation trap before they, they can come out of the other side. And I don't judge because I was there. I spent 10 years there. Obviously, with hindsight, I completely regret that waste of time. But all we can do sometimes is just to plant the seeds. And I believe that the drinking train that every woman is on globally is going only in one direction. Yeah. It leaves a station when we're 17, 18, 25 or 30. And it only goes and stops at one place, which yeah. indeed is death at your own hand, rehab or indeed premature death due to alcohol abuse. And that's why I celebrate women who put down the wine glasses. For me, I didn't need patriarchy and men in suits and boardrooms to render me powerless as a woman in business. I did that myself every night of the week by picking up a wine glass, pushing down my wine glass. I took back my power. I began to find my voice. I began to be unafraid. I began to take up my space. I began to fill my space. I began to see what I needed and learned how to articulate it and learned how to sit in the moment, be that happy, sad, difficult, shite, brilliant. And for me, once you start living and breathing, feeling all the feels, why would I ever go back to something that rendered me powerless and took away my voice? fade into a drinking kitchen background shadow. And I don't want to ever go back there. And I, I'm, I'm very, very confident I have freedom completely. Yeah, well, that's, that's beautifully put, Susan. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I know so many sober people for obvious reasons. And I've never found anyone that says, uh, oh, I wish I hadn't stopped drinking. <laughs> we, we all prefer it once we've got through those, those tricky few months. Yeah. So, so talk to me a little bit more about why the sober school worked so well for you. Was it meeting other women that were, you know, had the I, same issue or the, the tools that Kate gave you? Uh, I, For me, the sober school was definitively the greatest decision I think I've ever made outside of my husband, obviously. And um, (laughs) I think that what Kate does during that period of time is she works on the neuropathic lines, but she also credits us with an intelligence and an intellect. And she gives us science and she gives us psychology. And for me, yes, on morning one, I think with any course, what's really important to point out, and I've discussed it with Kate many times since, is, is that what's really important, anybody can sign on a course. Okay, anybody can sign up to it, pay the money and go in. It's actually about active participation. It's about leaping off the ledge and jumping into the class. So on day one, when there was homework, I wrote my answer into the classroom. 
immediately engaging with the women because in that moment, there was 200 in the classroom. I wow. felt less alone and I realized I wasn't the only woman. I may be sitting in Madrid, but guess what? They were in Canada, New York, England, Germany and Australia all doing exactly what I was doing. Yeah. And me doing the homework and connecting with them. And Kate still says, I went after the connections. I nurtured them. I fostered them. And I knew I absolutely knew this power block of women that were around me needed to stay with me so that I could protect myself in the early phase of sobriety and I would have accountability bodies. So when we finished the course of science and philosophy and psychology and I worked bloody hard and I made it my absolute priority, I would get up at six in the morning, I would do Kate's lesson, I would do my homework as it were, I would go to the office um, and it was a very, very, very busy time. And I believe that my sobriety allowed me to do the difficult job, to be very honest with you. And when we were leaving the class after 15, after six weeks, I knew in my heart and soul that without this band of powerful women, I could very easily fall. So many of them said, can you do something? So I did. So I set up Sassy Sober Sisters, which was the platform for the women coming out of Kate's school, because at the time, Kate oh. didn't have anything. Yes, we went through exactly the same process with Tribe Sober. We used to just run workshops, but the connection was so deep after everybody shared those stories that people wanted to stay connected. And that's how Tribe Sober membership was born. So it creates the connection and it helps people to implement what they've learned on the workshops and to stay on track. And from Sassy Sober Sisters, every other weekend and my daily emails, I was doing them fancy P PDFs. And I was saying, okay, girls, here's this mocktail, this drink, this, the other, and this community started to evolve. And it is the birthplace of Oda Sober, the magazine, because the fancy PDFs evolved into being uh, the weekend magazine, then the Sunday magazine, and then suddenly Ola Sober, the magazine, the monthly magazine was given birth to from those humble beginnings, because I believed, and I now know, that we as a sober group of women, uh, we are not on the margins. We are not, you know, ostracized on the edges of society. In fact, we're running down straight down the center of the highway. And so therefore, if I want a magazine to tell me how to live fully, freely, in joyful sobriety, rather than the dark, heavy burden of struggle, when indeed in sobriety, we, we may be challenged. I don't believe we struggle. We may be challenged. But we come out the other side. And I wanted something to reflect that for my body yeah. and the community. Yeah. And so when I sit down to do Olo Sober, all I'm trying to do is put joy, color and beauty and reality yeah. into yeah. your inbox. So there yeah. was no master strategic plan, if you can understand, because I remember doing my very first PDF. And some of the girls from my class are still part of my very special core team. I was doing it for myself. Do you understand? I know how easy it would have been for me to fall back down the neck of a bottle. Because life throws you curveballs. The early stages of sobriety, we'll say the first 90 days or 100 days or 150 days, you don't have that steadfast sober muscle whereby you know this is a good choice. You're still in that internal dialogue waving between yeah. women, won't I? And I knew I needed these women um, and I asked them to join me. And then I put them in WhatsApp groups because I needed them in my pocket. So if I was having a moment while traveling in London for mm. the first time sober or in New York, I was in Washington, D.C. And I think I was only, oh, I don't know. I mean, maybe nine weeks and I was on a business trip in the U.S. And I was it was very good for me to have these girls in my pocket. These connections were vital. Yes, the power of having your tribe in your pocket, as you put it, it's huge, especially in those early days when you're feeling fragile, you haven't built your confidence up yet. We've had people reaching out to us from the bathroom of a party or a wedding saying, help, I'm under such pressure to drink, I can't deal with these people. And we can help them out of that fix. We can help them to find an escape route. 
I believe that every woman on this planet needs to be educated as to the toxicity and the dangers of an addictive substance that has been packaged in an amazing fancy bottle, pinkified by an entire industry, funded by billions and billions of dollars, lobbyists at legislative level across multiple states, countries and governments who are not unlike the tobacco industry of 40 and 50 years ago, are fully aware of the dangers, perils of alcohol, have been part of the messaging to tell us its reward and me time. They do not want women to know the truth, the reality, the science, the outcomes, the dangers, the generational power we hold as women, as mothers aunts and sisters in the palm of our hand that we give to a glass that is a multi-billion dollar drinks industry. I so agree with you about the education thing, Susan. The more we learn about alcohol, the less we feel like putting it in our bodies. And a great way to spend the extra time we get during early sobriety is to treat it as a kind of research project. Read the quitlet, listen to the podcast, Google what does alcohol do to my body and brain. Just educate yourself. Because I always say that if we don't educate ourselves, then the movie industry and the liquor industry will educate us and they're not giving us the truth. If I am going to counteract a program that has been in place since the 30s, this 12-step program that is not a fit for everybody because not one size fits all, if I consider myself an advocate within modern recovery discovery, then it is incumbent upon me to equal the 12-step program every step of the road and do so freely. It's a volunteer platform. My columnists are volunteer. My hosts are volunteer. My, my family and I fund all of it. The technology, the software, all of my downtime is dedicated to this project to spread the light, spread the yeah. joy, spread, spread the gratitude. And yes, Guess what? I could charge for it. Of course I could. But, you know, that is not meeting the only 12-step alternative head on because there's a multi-billion dollar recovery industry that actually only feeds in to 12-step, which is saved. Thousands of lives, but I would never have gone to a meeting. And 95% of the women who come to our meetings, who read my magazine, would never have gone to an AA meeting, would never take on the label, would not feel comfortable being disenfranchised. Well, I did go to AA because here in South Africa, there was nothing else when I was ready to get sober. AA didn't work for me, but I found a one-day workshop in London that did work for me. I picked up some tools. I met some other people that I could relate to. I stayed connected with them and I got sober. And then when I returned to South Africa, Because I had a background in training and development, I decided that I would design and facilitate my own workshops. So I set up Tribe Sober, and I love the idea that there are so many different routes to sobriety. And now your magazine, there's actually a magazine that all of those sobriety groups can subscribe to, and we can discover the joy of sobriety through that. And I wanted to ask you, when you um, were in the drinks industry, And, you know, you were drinking and you were working on the marketing. Did you feel uncomfortable? Absolutely not. Because I think this is part of the thing. We have a tendency to look at people in the drinks industry and say, oh, my God, they're so evil. Well, guess what? No, they don't know. Mm. Johnny is getting up and doing his job, doing Mm. his job to the best of his ability. He's part of a giant machine. The machine is all thinking the same thing. They're doing a bloody good job. These people are brilliant professionals with wonderful intellects, but they don't have the knowledge of addiction. They don't have the knowledge of what it's doing in truth to families. And the reality is they're not sitting there thinking of Mary putting gin, vodka, beer, wine into her supermarket trolley. And they're not taking it all the way to the end of the sentence because it's not their job to take it all the way. to the But however, I never felt uncomfortable. But do I believe that at the very top, at lobby level, you know, political lobbyists who who lobby governments about excise and duty and import tax and excise, 
Do I believe those people have access to scientific data that would suggest that there is an epidemic among women? I would humbly suggest that I think they've seen those reports. Yeah. But they don't want to obviously let everybody know about their reports. And I suppose for me, I think that if we can sit and in one breath say that the FDA in the United States would never license modern day alcohol, but yet we can both land on a plane in New York and go to any oddbins, any off license and buy liters and liters of toxic uh, alcohol that is fundamentally poison and it is still continuing today. That means somebody knows something somewhere. Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at Janet at TribeSober.com. That's Janet, J-A-N-E-T, at TribeSober.com, and we'll send you an invitation. Yeah, I mean, it's taking so long for the information that is needed to get into the public domain, isn't it? Because did you know that in 1988, uh, the World Health Organization released a, a report um, saying that alcohol was carcinogenic, you know? And well, we can get seven kinds of cancer from yeah, no. it. It is, it is proven. But I think part of the problem is, is that those of us who have had issues around alcohol, i.e. Mm. we are, we come into this very fractured and broken. We come into this with low self-esteem. We come into this filled with shame and guilt. And we're not exactly running up the street with a sweatshirt on saying, I'm on the dry. You know, I've given up alcohol. We're not doing that. You know, we're very, very, very vulnerable at the outset of our journey. But I do believe those of us who find a voice, who professionally can actually be out loud without consequences to our career, because there is still that narrow mind body of thinking, it is almost incumbent upon us if we feel that way and comfortable in that role to actually speak about it. Because there are so many of us out there who have had my experience and your experience, but people are afraid. And I understand why they're afraid. And it was easier for me to be, if you like, more vocal because I was a decision maker. I I was at the table. Therefore, it was unlikely that the other five men at the table were actually going to say something out of sorts to me because... I was the CEO of the company. So therefore, it was if they thought it, they didn't say it. Okay. So from my perspective, I think it's really important that we do understand that there is a period of rehabilitation and it has taken us years to get into that hellhole and it can sometimes take years to get out. And those of us who come out with a little bit of spark, a little bit of ingenuity and a little bit of creativity, if and when possible, can use it to serve the greater good. And when we serve the greater good and do something that is passionate and volunteering, ripples happen. And I'm a believer in the power of one and in the power of many women bonding together in modern recovery discovery across all kinds, whether you do yoga, meditation, sober tribe, sober mom squad, Laura McCowan's The Luckiest Club, Ola Sober. I don't care what mode or pathway you come to get to this fabulous point. If we could come together under the umbrella of women taking back our power, I think that in time, in time can become something significant where drinks companies are forced to reassess who they target, how they target, and where they spend their money. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And I think that people like us, we have a responsibility to tell our stories. You know, I've because I live here in South Africa and uh, I'm the only person doing this. And when I, I started my uh, Tribe Sober or World Without Wine, as it used to be when it launched five years ago, um, I got a lot of media attention, you know, so I went on the radio and told my story and I've just got so many people talking to me, you know, contacting me saying, oh, at last, you know, someone that I can relate to because I, I can't go to AA or I have been to AA and it's not for me. And I just didn't realize there were other ways that we could do it. So it's it's wonderful to spread the word and tell our stories. 
and I think it's interesting that you say, because time and time again, women in my inbox have said, I've been to one meeting and it didn't work for me. And I think that we need to, again, it's incumbent upon us, not just tell, you know, the story, my mess is my message, but also women need to understand out there in kitchens, wherever they are, that there is no shame and guilt in admitting uh, and asking for help. And that modern recovery discovery is truly a journey of women together. And if indeed it is a sober pledge in the morning and, you know, a meeting once a week or no meetings, if that's your gig, meditation, yoga, standing on your head, going for a walk like I do for 40 minutes daily, it's almost a religious practice. If that's what keeps you sober, powerful, healthy and well, women need to know that option is available. Women do not know yet. Not enough women know that. Guess what, lady? You just, you don't, AA isn't your only game. It's not the only game in town. There are so many pathways, all equally powerful, equally wonderful, led by amazing people. Step on any of them. Try all of them. I really don't mind where women go. My personal thing is that we need them to know that there are choices and options. They can create an a la carte sobriety pathway for themselves. And then there is a magazine like Ola Sober out there that they can get every month for free, which will empower their journey even more and talk about the moon and the universe and crystals and stars and whatever we want to talk about in the magazine. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and things are changing, aren't they? Slowly. I mean, when I got sober six years ago, for example, uh, there were no alcohol-free drinks at all. And that made me feel even more grumpy and sorry for myself, you know, when I went out and I had to have a Coke or something. But uh, but these days, I mean, even in South Africa, we have an online shop called Drink Nil, and they have more than 100 choices. They'll deliver them to your door anywhere in the country. So, there's, so the alcohol-free industry is exploding and, and and I think that's a very good sign, don't you? Booming. Well, so here's the deal. From the drinks industry perspective, and uh, we all know Seedlip was a game changer. Great credit yeah. to him. And, then, yeah. and the big statement in the drinks industry was when Diageo came to town and Diageo went in and bought a large yeah. black company. That was a real statement uh, for everybody looking on at the drinks industry, that if Diageo were moving in that direction, then therefore there is something within this AF free market. And I think very quickly the drinks industry, as they are wont to do, got on the train of no longer are we dealing with the body of non-drinkers who are grumpy in the corner drinking Fanta or Pepsi Coca-Cola all night, because guess what? These are discerning alcohol-free drinkers who have enlivened palates and they seek multiple flavors be that ginger and cardamom and different layers of flavor that we're no longer just content with salsa and a slice of lemon in a bo- in a glass. So for me, it was critically important in the early first 100 days when I was traveling that alcohol beer at free beer and Seedlip were available in five-star hotels in different places that I was doing business, if you like. I remember flying into London on my first business trip And I was meeting people in the NED, which I used to always go to previously. And when the business was done and they were gone, I would have a glass of wine at the bar. And I remember going in because it was evening drinks and saying to the waitress, do you have seed lip? She said, yes. Would you like spice garden? I remember thinking, whew. Yeah. yeah. I had my drink before the people arrived. So that was very important psychologically that I had a glass in my hand. It was adult because here's the other thing. For decades, we were sort of sitting in the corner with what looked like children's drinks. Well, guess what? We're women of the world. We've been around the world. We work. We manage families. We 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 have jobs every day. And no, I don't want to sit there with fruit juice. I actually want to feel part of the action. And the AF response by the drinks industry is purely based on money. That's of the course. truth. They're, they don't want to miss out on their profits. They're, they're following the money. So just yeah. like the, the, the wine industry in the early 90s sat down and said, oh, sugar, beer is taking a large market share. We need to respond. And then the wine industry suddenly became pinkified and you had pink gins then in the spirit sector. The same thing is happening now. The men in suits, predominantly men in suits, that is a generalization, said, oh, my God, we have an educated group of alcohol-free drinkers. Let's meet that need. There's money in that. It's a booming sector. And what was also interesting was during global pandemic lockdowns, even though it was phased across different countries at different time, there was, yes, 
an increase in alcohol home drinking. I'm sure you saw it in your inbox. I saw it in mine. However, there was also a, a response where my women quite quickly, I call them the Tesco women, because I got these a bunch of emails whereby one woman was sitting at her online computer in very early lockdown UK, and it said how many wines. And she clicked the four bottle and her husband behind her said, get real. You haven't had just four bottles of wine in about a decade. You need to hit seven or nine. And so she hit nine. And when those shopping bags were delivered to her home, she was utterly horrified seeing all the bottles lined up in the hallway among, you know, the cookies, the cereals, the bread, the sauces. Suddenly there it was. There was the evidence on the floor. She could no longer deny she sought help very early on. She's doing fabulously. So the AF need in lockdown in some ways also increased. Suddenly kombuchas were springing up. I, I buy beautiful glasses. I have all kinds of limes and lemons and different flavorings going on in my fridge to add to my drinks and juniper berries. And I think we need to celebrate as opposed to, oh, shit, now I need to have an alcohol-free beer. I'm the kind of woman who celebrates it and gets really excited about a new craft alcohol-free beer or a new spirit coming out in the market. Yeah, I have people saying, oh, I don't know how I'm going to cook anymore if I'm not drinking my wine. Yeah. It's, we so couple these experiences. Everything's coupled with wine. I have people saying to me, but I won't be able to enjoy the sunset anymore <laughs> because yeah. I sit on my you know, terrace and I watch the sunset with my wine every evening. It's, it's madness. But obviously, as you know, the first, the first few times you do it, it feels strange and gradually you'll, you'll get used to it. Let's uh, tell me the biggest benefit of sobriety for you personally, please. Being present. I think that while I was drinking, I was what I like to call missing in action. So I was present but absent. So I looked like I was present. I looked engaged. I looked like I was in the family. I looked like I was professionally working. I looked like I was engaged with people's lives. But the truth was somewhere deep inside my head, I was completely absent because it got to a certain point in the evening and my brain was filled with alcohol. And therefore, I was no longer in control of my full faculties. Although I looked like I was, I sounded like I was. I made bad choices, mad decisions, sent bad emails, bad texts, had arguments that were unnecessary and have entire moments in my life that I not only do not remember, I will never get back. So for me, it's being present and it's yeah. being present for all of it. Because I think that's what life is about, that yeah. it is naive for us to believe that life is once upon a time and happy ever after. We know we're alive when there is things going up and down like a yo-yo because that's completely normal. Yeah. And to be able to be present for it is actually a privilege. And yeah. I know many women don't have the place of privilege that you and I have. They're, they're no longer here because yeah. they couldn't keep on anymore or they got tired or in a moment of darkness they decided to go down a dark dark pathway and they'll never come back so for me truly truly it's being present nice okay beautiful how can people get hold of your lovely magazine we've got to spread that everywhere yeah. my lovely ola sober magazine so they can go on to olasober.com Right. They can register for the magazine and register also for the second one, Ola Sober Food and Drink. They can email me, susan at olasober.com. My inbox is always open. And uh, it is very, you sign up, it's free. The magazine is free. So people, it's, you know, one minute of your life to click on the dot com, 30 seconds of your life to fill in your email address and your first name. That's it. I just want you to have something beautiful. I want you to wake up at the beginning of October and actually feel part of something powerful. Yeah. Not feel that you're part of something that, oh my God, I had to give up drink. My attitude is, go lady, you're now beginning to live. And here's some yeah. magazine that you can read at the weekend that will make you feel fabulous. And that's what I want. That's ultimately yeah. what the, it's really simple. I just want to put sort of color light into the world. Yeah. 
Yeah, people have to learn to thrive in their sobriety, don't they? Not just survive and plot yes. through it. Yes. And you, your magazine is going to be a beautiful platform, I think, for the rebranding of, of sobriety. I mean, I haven't seen anything like it, and I've been doing this work for six years. So well done, you. Thank you, because it means be very that proud. I, I, I'm, you know what? I, I genuinely believe that you know, for such a time as this, and I sometimes believe that we sit um, in dark, shadowy corners of our kitchen and we've lost hope and we don't really want to get up tomorrow and face it all again. And, you know, we go to sleep and there's a part of us while we're drinking in, in active addiction that we actually think if I don't wake up tomorrow, I don't actually give a shit. Yeah. And I think that when you've been in that cavern and it's a lonely place to be because no one knows you're there because you're this almost, you know, dual personality of what the world sees and what the grim and dark reality is, is that when you've been there and when you've made the journey out, sought help, made connections, done a daily sober pledge, you know, being, being part of a tribe, there is a deep desire in me to literally spread the word. And the only way I can spread the word is in something that is equal to something that you go and buy about interior design or fashion yeah. or Marie Claire. If I had come in substandard, then I feel, well, this is what I feel every night when I'm working on it. I feel that I would be treating us as a body of women as if we don't deserve the bloody best. So when I sat down with my husband looking at softwares and different things and looking at prices of everything, I said to my husband, I want the best because I can work this, I can work this. I can manage to create something, but I need the software tools to be available to me because I want this to be equal to any magazine they see in a shelf because they need to know that's how fabulous life is. That's how fabulous they are for having the balls and the courage to actually say, I got a problem. I need help. How do I get up with this? Thank you, Susan. That was such a great conversation. Let's pick out a few highlights. Susan is using her considerable communication and marketing skills together with her experience in the global drinks industry to rebrand sobriety. She talked about the way that the wine industry has targeted women and how we've bought into the idea that wine is our me time. We've come to believe that a glass of wine is an act of self-care whereas in fact it's the exact opposite for many of us. Susan's personal story was a familiar one. Successful career woman, holding down a responsible job, bringing up a family and drinking a bottle of wine a day. I think so many of us can identify with that description of her getting home, opening a bottle of wine and gradually working our way through it during the evening. It just felt so normal. And because we weren't falling about drunk, we didn't really think twice about it. But of course, seven bottles of wine, a bit more if you have more at the weekend, is just not sustainable. As she says, we have to ask ourselves not whether we are an alcoholic, but whether we can sustain a happy and healthy life drinking this amount of alcohol every single week. Like many of us, Susan was able to make a change when she found her people. She signed up for the sober school and met other people just like herself, people she could relate to. She felt she'd found accountability partners and true connection. The relief of finding other people on the same path is considerable. She created a WhatsApp group and talked about having people in her pocket who she could reach out to when she was traveling. That's exactly what we provide with our membership program, an international community who support and encourage each other. Because after all, connection is the opposite of addiction. Just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe if you'd like to join a community who are busy supporting each other on this life-changing journey. Knowledge is everything. And so many of us drink for decades without the slightest idea of the harm it's doing to us. Even when I got breast cancer, I was still in denial. I simply refused to join the dots and just carried on drinking. Susan found that once she'd understood the complexity, the toxicity and the way we use alcohol to numb the pain, she began to see everything differently and she was able to make the changes she needed.
I asked her what the biggest benefit of sobriety had been for her, and she simply said, being present. Present for the ups and downs of life. After all, our personal growth comes from being present and dealing with the difficulties rather than just zoning out. She talked about the drinking train that many women board and pointed out that it was only travelling one way, the way of increasing dependence, rehab, and for some people it's sadly travelling to disease and death. Just yesterday I got a heartbreaking message from a husband asking us to remove his wife from our mailing list as she'd sadly lost her battle with addiction and died of liver disease. She'd been on our mailing list for years but never actually reached out for help or took any action. When Susan graduated from the sober school, she set up a support group for the other graduates and she sent them daily mails and PDFs to keep them inspired. She started to collate this content, which eventually gave birth to the fabulous monthly magazine she now edits, which is called Ola Sober. This magazine is quite simply rebranding sobriety. It's taking it from a place of struggle to an aspirational lifestyle choice. It's a beautiful publication and reflects how to live fully and joyfully in sobriety. I'm going to put the link in the show notes, but please take a look at this publication. It's absolutely free to sign up and then you must share it with everybody you know. So it's called Ola, H-O-L-A, and then Sober, just those two words. And Susan also has a website called olasober.com, as well as an Instagram account. And just this week, she's published a brilliant PDF called The Giant Feck. You have to read that one. Susan and I agree that AA is not the only gig in town. There are so many alternatives. And of course, we are both providing alternatives to AA. And most of the people that we work with would never dream of going to AA. Women are bonding together via recovery groups. Women are taking back their power. All of us on this journey need to be advocates of the modern recovery movement. We're part of something powerful. We've got smart and we're seeing through the BS pumped out by the liquor industry. Sobriety is a superpower, so let's get the word out there. Let's get this sober party started. As usual, I'm just opening my phone and going to read the first member Slack message that inspires me. We had a workshop a couple of days ago and we got plenty of lovely feedback messages. Let me pick just one from a US member who was feeling distinctly under the weather when she turned up, but she logged into the workshop nevertheless. I want to thank all of you at the workshop yesterday for supporting me and holding grace. I'm so horrified of what I felt like and how I showed up. I think it was one of the worst days of my life. It was for sure a rock bottom moment, but I'm on day two today, learning how to carry on, started my journal, wrote my list of whys, working on my blacklist, started reading The Surprising Joy of Being Sober last night, working on my toolkit and adding more books to my list, going out to get some exercise now. It's a start. Indeed, it's a wonderful start, and this lady can be sure that her tribe will keep her on track. So if you'd like to try a workshop, then just go to tribesober.com and hit our services. You can also DM me personally on Tribesober Instagram page, or just hit the big yellow telephone on tribesober.com. So that's it from me. Thanks for listening. We'd love you to leave us a review and don't forget to follow us and share. I'll be back next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard. It takes courage and grit and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.